telling anyone else's story is a huge privilege and responsibility. What I realized is that by cooking 100 recipes together, we've created our own unique language. So for me, the cooking comes first and the writing comes later. I'm Gil Galanos and welcome to StoryMark, a show about leaders, the moments that made them, and the mark they leave. On today's show, food writer, recipe and product developer, and cookbook author, Adina Sosman. An expert in Israeli food culture, Adina's writing has been featured in publications such as Food and Wine, The Wall Street Journal, Epicurious, and Gourmet. She's a New York Times bestselling author, having co-authored Cravings with Chrissy Teigen and The Sprinkles Baking Book with Candace Nelson. I'm inspired by Adina's ability to find connection with people of all walks of life. She uses food and culture as both a vehicle for storytelling and an opportunity to find deeper meaning. Originally from Palo Alto, California, Adina became an Israeli citizen in 2018. However, she's been surrounded by the art of Jewish cooking her entire life, and she can draw a direct line from her early experiences with food through to her career as an esteemed food writer. my home, it was a very warm and wonderful environment. I grew up with always having a lot of people around the table. I would come home and my mom would be like, okay, the chief rabbi of France is sleeping over this weekend, you know, like, so you have to go sleep with your sister in your room. I grew up with Shabbat as the focal point of our week. Did a lot of cooking, obviously, because we didn't have a lot of kosher things available. My mother came from a totally non-religious background, so... She became Orthodox when she married my dad. So her learning process was also our learning process. It was a very, very interesting and positive childhood in spite of the fact that I'm no longer observant. Was your family supportive of your cooking ambitions? And when did these ambitions even start? I was making three-layer chocolate cakes from the New York Times cookbook for like guests at age nine and 10. And the, the page of the book is still stained with little pieces of, of frosting. But, you know, I didn't really consider cooking professionally. When I graduated from high school in the late 1980s, pursuing a career as a cook or going to culinary school was sort of what you did if you couldn't get into college. So I very quickly thought about it and then put it out of my mind, went to college like all nice Jewish girls did. But it never really left me. And when I moved to Israel after college for five years and started cooking on my own, it really reignited something in me about cooking. owning the cooking myself and sort of taking all the things that I had learned in my home and making my own Shabbat meals and learning about seasonal cooking from uh, going to the Machane Yehuda market in Jerusalem where I lived. And then in my late 20s, I moved to New York and decided to pursue a career at the intersection of publishing and culinary because I had always been a writer. And yeah, my family was, was really supportive. My mom was a career changer. She became a really successful real estate agent in her mid-40s. And so I think she... sort of understood the desire to feel connected to what you did and to pursue it. So yeah, they were really supportive. I heard your grandmother had some uh, opinion about your uh, cooking ambitions and uh, <laughs> she had the sentence. What, what did she say? She said, nice Jewish girls who are honor students don't go to cooking school. <laughs> and I was still strictly kosher at the time. So in my mind, that would have been a deterrent for me. I think nowadays there are more options for people who are strictly kosher who want to pursue a culinary career. But at the time, especially as a woman and as someone who kept strictly kosher, it felt almost impossible to me. 
So you grew up in a Jewish Orthodox home and you eventually become non-Orthodox or secular or however you define yourself. We call it post-denominational in this house. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it had to do with food, honestly. Like I'm someone who really experiences the world through the lens of food and I did not want to hold myself back. And from a very young age, the way that I connected with other people and other cultures were through food. And so that was definitely a very conscious part of the decision. And also I just someone who much more connects with the culture of Judaism. And I love some of the rituals as well, especially those that revolve around Shabbat. But I'm much more a spirit of the law person than a letter of the law person. So that's kind of the direction that I chose to go in personally. So going back You started out in journalism and communication. What was your thought at that point uh, to become a journalist? I had created the school newspaper in fourth grade at my small Jewish day school on my parents' typewriter, and I was an editor of my high school paper. I always loved journalism. When I got to Israel, I ended up getting a job in an international department of the newly formed uh, first commercial TV station in Israel. Until the month that I moved to Israel, there had only been one television station. And then cable television came into Israel before more other stations blossomed. Did you ever think that you're going to make a career out of that? That's going to be your path or? I pretty quickly decided that TV had too much of an ephemeral nature for me, especially news. Like I, I'm interested in projects that I can really sink my teeth into over a longer period of time. And I've always loved books and magazines and reading. So I, I knew that I wanted to do something uh, that involved sort of the written word as opposed to the produced word and image. I started writing for magazines, doing like little reviews for Time Out New York, writing as much as I could, just getting a lot of experience. And I eventually ended up getting a job at Gourmet Magazine as a copywriter on the marketing side of the magazine, which I did for about three and a half years. So I really learned the publishing industry from the inside at a time when magazines still had a lot of power, the huge advertising budgets. I was traveling for work. I was meeting a lot of chefs. I was understanding how both the business side and the editorial side of the food world worked. And I really loved it. And at the same time, I was reading cookbooks like novels, which is something I've been doing since I was a kid and just getting increasingly interested in the world of cookbooks and cooking, you know, so... When I left Gourmet, I went to culinary school, and I've been working for myself for almost 18 years now. I want to learn more about the process of helping someone tell their story through food and recipes. What is the biggest challenge? And, and maybe also, who's the most famous person that you co-authored a book with? Telling anyone else's story is a huge privilege and responsibility. So it's something that I take really seriously. Working with other people, whether they're really famous or not, they're very nervous about, A, how their story is going to be transmitted to others and B, just about the process. You know, I've co-authored 15 cookbooks. And what I learned quickly was that I always say to people, let's cook first and write later and storytell later. Because what I realized is that by cooking 100 recipes together, we've created our own unique language that only the two of us share. And it gives me so much rich information, context, history, that by the time I have to write with them or for them, 
I have so much of the information that I need. And also it really is an intimate process. You know, cooking is very, for me, it's very sacred and intimate act. And so for me, the cooking comes first and the writing comes later. So, you know, you, you create a lexicon with someone, you, you know, you're creating rules and grammar and structure and nicknames and all kinds of things. So, you know, that's what has worked the best for me. And then I can go in and sort of help the person feeling like there's a really high comfort level. And also after you've cooked with someone a lot, like their defenses come down. A lot of insecurities are allayed, fears are allayed, you know, so that's how I have approached it. And as far as uh, working with famous people, I work with Chrissy Teigen, who is a social media superstar. She has over 50 million followers on her combined social media feeds. And she's married to John Legend, who's a very famous EGOT. He's won both the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar and the Tony. And he's a multi-hyphenate talent in his own right. And I've been working with Chrissy for 10 years. I've co-authored three books with her and I'll do a fourth at some point. Because of how I grew up with always having a lot of people around the table, I grew up learning how to feel comfortable around important people or people not like me and to not worry about the trappings around you just to focus on the relationships. So I've always taken that with me and we just really hit it off. And all three of our books have been New York Times bestsellers. And we have a really wonderful working relationship and friendship that I really enjoy. Every author that I work with is almost without exception has been wonderful. So you went from co-authoring cookbooks to writing your own. How did you find the confidence to embark on a project of writing Sababa? The same month that I met Chrissy Teigen was a really seminal month in my life. I also met my husband, Jay. (laughs) So I met them within a month of one another. And Jay lived here. He's American, but he's been living here for more than 35 years. Here in Israel. Uh Uh-huh. And we live in Tel Aviv. And we were set up on a blind date in New York. And... I had been living in New York for almost 20 years, and I had been thinking about moving somewhere, maybe Tel Aviv, which I loved, or back to California. And so I moved here to be with Jay. Like, the joke is that I moved for love and stayed for the shook, you know. But I had been writing about Israeli food and wine for a long time for different magazines and talking about it a lot. And people had suggested that I might try to write an Israeli cookbook, but... I felt that I didn't want to take that on unless I was living here. I didn't want to feel like uh, an interloper or a sort of a little bit of a dilettante, you know, kind of trying to hone in on someone else's culture. You know, I felt like once I moved here, once I became a citizen, once I was, you know, paying rent and settled down here, like all of a sudden I was like, okay, this is a possibility. And my agent, Janice Dunno, who represents me for all of my co-authorships, pushed me to work on my book proposal. And it was a struggle because I had gotten so comfortable writing in other people's voices. And I'm really good at that. It's not like I'm a wallflower or don't have something to contribute or don't contribute, but I, I really enjoy listening to other people. So like that, the, the work really suited me. And then all of a sudden I was in this position where I had to find my voice again because I had gotten so used to writing in other people's voices. And it was a real oh shit moment. You know, like, what do I have to say? What do I have to contribute to this conversation about Israeli food? People like Michael Solomonov and Yota Motulangi and Einad Admoni and many others had been sort of doing this for a while and successfully. So what I realized was that I was living here. They were all living in the States. 
They were all restaurant chefs with professional pedigrees, which I respect so much. I don't call myself a chef. I call myself a cook. A chef is someone who runs restaurants and runs a staff of cooks. And it's a whole nother skill set, both psychologically and technically that I don't have and wasn't interested in having, but also not sure I'd be so well suited to. And I was a home cook living in Tel Aviv. And that was what I realized the, the more personal I got with my story and the more I told my own journey about moving here, trying to adjust to the culture and how I used the Carmel market and Israeli ingredients as a lens for my integration into Israel. Like that was a story that I felt hadn't been told uniquely and that I could maybe like add something meaningful to the conversation. And that's the way I cook as well. You know, like I don't like ingredients to pass their expiration date without using them up. So you know, I feel like people buy a pomegranate molasses or a date syrup or a trina and they use it for one recipe, but I want people to use everything in multiple ways. So that was how I approached it. And that's how I found the confidence to sort of make this modest proposal to the world. Cook like I cook, experience Israel through my eyes as someone who's new to this place, living here. It's very different living somewhere than coming as a tourist or a visitor, which is what most Americans do. Only 3,000 American Jews make Aliyah every year, which is a tiny fraction, So, which I didn't really realize until I made Aliyah myself. What was the most challenging moment throughout the journey that you've had so far? Early on in my, after I met my now husband, it was clear that I was going to move to Israel, like had a moment where like I had really spent a lot of time developing my career in New York and I had a really big network there and, you know, things with Chrissy Teigen were taking off and like a lot was going on. And I just, you know, I, I had a moment where I was like, what are you doing? You know, you're moving to a completely foreign place, but I, I just felt I was ready to focus on my personal happiness as well. And like, I had met someone that I was knew that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And that became as important or more important to me than my career. And I think that that decision actually helped my career it took the complete focus off of work and I, I made my life more balanced. I try to remain nimble about moving, trying new things without everything being set up. It's really worked for me throughout my career and my life in general. And, you know, it's a kind of a value that I hold actually. So that was a challenging time. And then I would say more recently, uh, during the, the war in 2021, I woke up to like a thousand comments the first morning after the war, like from all different sides of the political spectrum, expecting me to say certain things, do certain things, be a certain person, represent a certain point of view. And it was really the first time that I felt stressed out about having a public persona. So I decided to just keep that experience to myself and let myself go through that time without feeling the need to comment or represent anything or anyone. It's also a good lesson to remember, like, my opinion is really not that important, but my life is more important and my personal experiences and my ability to go through it and be connected to what I'm going through. So that was, that was the direction that I went in. And it was a good lesson for me. So I'd like to ask you a few questions that we ask each of our guests. Sure. Starting with what piece of advice you wish that someone would have given you at the start of your journey? No job is a wasted job. You learn something from every job that you do, possibly more from the ones you hated than the ones that you loved. <laughs> and two, like, don't wait. If there's something you want to do, 
run after it and go for it and do it. What is the one thing that most people get absolutely wrong about you? That I cook a from scratch dinner for my husband every night. It's a combination of leftovers, Walt, which is our version of Uber Eats, grilled cheese, and eating out. And several home-cooked dinners per week, but just not every night, you know. Oftentimes, we're eating the product of my work, you know. If I'm, if I'm filming five or six recipes for social media in a day, there's often a lot of food around the house. But I'm not standing at the door in an apron, you know, with a martini and a, and a, and a dinner plan all the time. Do you ever switch roles? I heard a rumor that my husband knows how to cook, but in the eight and a half years that we've known each other, it hasn't uh, shown itself much, but I'm not sure I want to switch roles because my husband is an incredible help in the house. He does all the dishes, all of the laundry, takes care of all of the plants, and does a lot of amazing stuff in the house that I did myself f- until I got married at age 45 for the first time. So like for me, I'm pretty happy with the arrangement. <laughs> What are you currently obsessed with? Mexico, because we're going to Mexico City, uh, and Israel is finally, there's Mexican food is kind of bubbling up here finally. So Mexican food in Mexico. Let's see, what else am I obsessed with? Pilates, which I'm doing four times a week. And I don't know, seeing where the future of my country is going to go. I'm pretty obsessed with that, actually, at the moment, I would say. Lastly, what are you most optimistic about? I would say continuing to learn how to be happy and finding tools for being happy in an authentic way and also in helping other people be happy. That's what makes me happy. Adina Sussman, it was wonderful having you on our show. Thank you. I had a great time. You've been listening to Storymark. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, consider signing up for the Storymark newsletter where we'll keep you up to date about upcoming guests. Visit storymarkpodcast.org to sign up and you can also follow us on Instagram at Storymark. Storymark is brought to you by iTrex Studios. iTrex is a nonprofit that inspires tomorrow's leaders through peer-led week-long treks in Israel to experience its innovation, diversity, and complex reality firsthand. For more information, visit itrex.org. I'm your host, Gil Galanos. Our producer is Patrick Emil, and associate producer is Rebecca Sebastian. Our editor is Zev Levi. Thanks for listening, and let's go. See you next time.